Well, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are currently going through the New Testament on Wednesday nights, and we have been in the book of 1 Corinthians for a few months now, and we come tonight to chapter 12, and this is really, we're going to be beginning tonight a very important aspect of Scripture, dealing with the manifestations of the Spirit of God in the church of God and in the people of God. So chapter 12, verse 1, we read this, now concerning spiritual gifts. And that actually isn't the best translation. A better translation would be now concerning spiritualities or spiritual matters, brethren. I do not want you to be ignorant. Now here's what's interesting about Paul in his letters. There are actually three things that Paul tells us in his letters that he does not want us to be ignorant about. He says in Romans chapter 11 verse 25 that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about God's plan for Israel, the nation of Israel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 he says that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about the second coming of Jesus Christ or about Bible prophecy. And then here he says in chapter 12 verse 1 that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts or spiritual matters. And it's interesting because there's a lot of Christians today in the body of Christ that are ignorant about these three things. And so our heart tonight as we begin to look at this is we, we want to just really see God's heart in this matter. And beginning here in chapter 12 and right through chapter 15, we have some great, great information, great insight into these spiritual matters. And in this, this chapter, we're going to deal with the first of these spiritual matters, the gifts of the Spirit in the body of Christ that Paul identifies in verses 4 through 11. Now, in chapter 13, we're going to look at, which thir chapter 13 is the great love chapter, and in that we're going to see this beautiful picture of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 14, we're going to deal with the order by the Spirit of these gifts and how they're supposed to function in the body of Christ. And then in chapter 15, we're, which is the chapter that deals with the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us, we're going to see the glory of the Spirit of God as we look at the, the resurrection. And I just want to say this, in time past... When we have come to these chapters, I've done a, a rather, a kind of a real in-depth look at these subjects. I, I would spend three or four weeks on the gifts alone. In fact, we did um, just last year when we were doing our First Things First Nights, um, we took one of these gifts every single Wednesday that we met and went into it. And um, all of those studies are available on our website. And I say that because this time around, I want to do this a little bit different. So if you want to do you know, a more in-depth study, I want to encourage you, you can go to our 
website, and if you go to our website, this is our landing page, and, and you go to the landing page and you click on where it says sermons, and as you click on that, it'll take you to this page, and then you want to click on either Sunday or Wednesday, and then it'll bring you to this page where you can actually put in 1 Corinthians. And when you put in 1 Corinthians and then you hit go, it'll take you to the page where you'll start seeing these studies, and you can click on number two, and it'll take you to some of the previous studies if you want to take a further, more of a in-depth look at those. But what I want to do over the next several weeks is spend one week on chapter 12 tonight, one week on chapter 13, and then one week on chapter 14. And I want to just, I want us to really see how this all flows together. And so that's going to be our focus as we look at this. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And some people, I'll just say this, are ignorant because they don't pay attention to the instructions that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about how these gifts of the Holy Spirit are supposed to function. But others are ignorant because they just flat out ignore the gifts by saying that these are not for today. They'll say that the, these gifts that Paul talks about here were for the apostolic age and we don't need them today. And the problem is they cannot support that type of thinking scripturally at all. And any attempt to do so it really stretches the scriptures. I love what uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great pastor of old, said this. He said, the scriptures never anywhere teach that these things were ever temporary. Never. They never ever say that. But most of the time, the reason why some churches and pastors will say, well, those are not for the day today anymore is because they've seen the gifts of the Holy Spirit abused in a church. And in some church settings where, you know, the, the gifts are, you know, in operation, it, it can seem a little crazy. Um, how many of you have been to a church like that, okay? I, I used to go to a church that, that was that way, and it was a little crazy. It was a little like, you just never knew. It was just a little bit. And what's interesting, you know, Paul, we'll see this in chapter 14, he says, all things are to be done decently and in order. And here's what happens. There's some churches that take the all things being done. It's like, okay, we're going to do it all, you know, and it can get a little crazy and they ignore the decently in order part. And then there's others that, that just are like, hey, we're going to do everything decently and in order and they forget the all things. We want to be in the middle there. We want to have a balance in this. And so when those people say, hey, these things are not for today, my response is always look at the church of Corinth, this church that Paul's writing to here. Paul's writing this about 25 years after Pentecost, and this is a church that had a lot of problems, as we've seen. If you've been with us, every week, Paul's dealing with a different problem with this church. You know, great church, he has a lot of great things to say about them, but they also were a messy church. A lot of things that they needed instruction on. And what's interesting, when, when he comes to this place of talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, th there were things that, were, weren't, that were happening that weren't right. And Paul, when he writes them, doesn't say, hey guys, you shouldn't be doing that at all. 
Because those things aren't for today. Or he doesn't even hint that, hey, once the canon of Scripture, because that's the argument they give, that once the canon of Scripture, the whole of the New Testament was given to us, that suddenly we didn't need these you know, ministries and operation of the Holy Spirit anymore. Paul never even hints at that. What does he do? He writes to them to correct them and say, this is what these gifts are, and this is how they're supposed supposed to be used. So that's what we're going to do as we begin looking at this tonight. He says, don't be ignorant. Look at verse two. He says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now here Paul, pause there and give me attention. Here Paul is laying down a very broad but important principle for discerning matters regarding spiritual gifts. And the really important principle is this, is that we need to judge things by by how they relate to Jesus. Does a supposed spiritual gift glorify Jesus? Does it promote the true Jesus or does it promote a false Jesus? Because, you see, Jesus made it very, very plain when he taught his disciples in the Gospels about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He said this in John 15, 26, that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to testify of me. And in John chapter 16, verse 14, he said, he will glorify me and he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. So Jesus was saying, hey, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to not to promote himself. It's not to promote any man. It's not to promote some gift, but it's actually to glorify and represent Jesus. So when the gifts are flowing in the right type of way, the focus is going to be on Jesus. Jesus is going to be the one being lifted up and being glorified. And so we can therefore trust the true ministry of the Holy Spirit will be according to the nature of Jesus. This is a basic principle and guideline that Paul gives. Now let's begin looking here in verse 4 as he begins to dive into this. He says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences, differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in, an, in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom by, through the Spirit. To another, a word of knowledge through the Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, Paul here gives us this list of these spiritual gifts, and these are called the sign gifts. There's another list of gifts in Romans chapter 12 that are more 
practical nature types of gifts. But these are, so this is one, just one aspect. It's kind of the sign gifts. We'll see kind of why that is in a few minutes. But I want you to notice that Paul gives us three important insights about these gifts. Number one, that there are a diversity of spiritual gifts. And then number two, we'll see that he speaks about the nature of these spiritual gifts. And then he's going to talk about the purpose of the spiritual gifts. Let's begin with the diversity. He says there in verses four and five, Paul uses two key words here, differences and diversity. Differences speaks of variety. It's kind of like going to Baskin Robbins. There's 31 flavors of ice cream. I always got to bring ice cream into a sermon, right? There's 31, you know, flavors of ice cream, but there's a variety, but they're all made of the same stuff. It's the same ingredients, you know. Milk is the key ingredients. Well, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, he's saying there's a variety. He'll say a little bit later on, not all are teachers, not all prophesy, not all speak in tongues. There's a variety in these gifts. There's a, a variety in order for the, bottom to, the body to function Um, there has to be this variety if it's going to function in the right way. Now, it's all the same, it's all from the same source though. It's all coming from the Holy Spirit. It's all coming from the Lord. So he'll say, he says here, so there are different gifts, but it's by the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but again, it's by the same Lord. There are different operations, but again, it's by the same God. But there's not just a variety of gifts, but there's also a diversity. And what he means by this is the way in which these gifts are going to be manifested in different people isn't going to be the same either. It will differ. It will differ. It will differ in time. It will differ in place. It will differ differ in, in person. You know, one of the things and I love about, you know, our church right now is we have just such gifted worship leaders, you know, that are part of our, our church. And there's a diversity, and I love that we have a diversity. You know, we have uh, Pete and Joe that, you know, do such just a great job of, uh, of leading worship. And they're a little bit similar in the way that they, you know, lead and the, they both have a great, you know, passion. But then you take a guy like Kelly and, you know, Kelly has just kind of this, um, you know, raspy Chad Williams, I think is his name, kind of vibe to him. And I've told Kelly several times, Kelly, don't try to be Pete and, like Pete and Joe. You need to be Kelly, you know, you need to be you because God's made him. But that gift is manifested differently when he leads worship. And then you got Ed, who was playing drums tonight, and he and, he and his wife get together and, and lead worship, and he's like this New Jersey guy, and he's got this, you know, kind of bluesy vibe, and then, you know, his, his wife's like a prophetess, and, and it's like this crazy thing, you know, that happens when the two of them get together, and it's totally different, but it's, it's awesome, and God's, you know, working, and that's how, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. I love that. I love the diversity. I love the diversity in the guys that are part of of our teaching team, you know, right now, that uh, just such great diversity in all of those guys. That's just awesome how God moves and works in that type of way. And, and so God, he's not limited to, to a particular pattern. And sometimes, I think that was the beauty really in Calvary Chapel, was that, you know, Pastor Chuck really, really emphasized to all of us, you be you. 
And so there weren't a bunch of little you know, guys running around mimicking Chuck, you know, each had their, their own style and their own gifting, but it was a similar philosophy of teaching through the scriptures. And I think that's important. I think one of the reasons why Paul lays out that there is this, there are differences and there's a diversity is because God never ever wants us to create formulas. He never ever wants us to get into a place where, where we have these patterns. We see this in the life of Jesus when, you know, Jesus healing blind men. In Mark chapter 10, we see where he just simply spoke to the blind man and said, your faith has made you well, go, you can see. In Matthew chapter 9, it says he touches the blind man's eyes. And after he touches him, he could see. In Mark chapter 8, though, we're told he spits on some guy's eyes. And in that day, they believed that spit had medicinal purposes. So Jesus was kind of, you know, there coming into the cultural norm. It wasn't like that he was being gross. He was, you know, kind of adapting to the cultural norm, something that they could relate to. But then again, in in John chapter 9, he spits on the ground and makes mud and puts that on the guy's eye. And I think the reason why God does that is because if if it was just one way, people would be going around, okay, I'm going to spit on your eyes right now, you know, type of thing. Like we create these formulas. We love to do that. And, I, and God, I think as you look at scripture, he rarely works the same way twice because he knows our tendency to want to make formulas. And you know what happens when we, we, when we make formulas, we have a tendency to eliminate faith. Because we replace faith with this formula and God doesn't want us to do that. So first of all, we see the diversity of the gifts. Second, we see the nature of the gifts in verse seven. He says, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one. Manifestation means the shining forth. It speaks of an expression. And again, this is so beautiful because what God is saying is, hey, I've created the body of Christ, all these different people, all these different personalities, all these different, you know, backgrounds and characters, and each one of us get to be an expression of who he is. And God uses each one of us in our own expression. And I think it's just such an awesome thought that spiritual gifts are in a reality, the shining forth of the Holy Spirit. They are an expression not of man's ability, but they're the expression of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit working through a human being. Spiritual gifts um, are means by where man is enabled by the Holy Spirit to do those things which are humanly impossible. The work of the kingdom of God is a work that is outside of mere human capacity. It's a spiritual work. It's a work that must be undertaken by God because it's a work that is eternal in scope and consequence. Therefore, the ministry, therefore, all of the ministry must be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not. Somebody can go to college and learn how to be a good speaker, and they can give great speeches 
but it can lack power because it's the, the whole, the, 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 there's not that inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you can take somebody else who, you know, can stumble all over himself, but there's a, a sense of an anointing because the Holy Spirit is behind it. And it's just amazing. It's, it's incredible in that way. But I want you to notice verse 11. He says, but one in the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. So what he's saying here is the Holy Spirit determines who gets what gifts and at what time. So we see the diversity of the gifts, the nature of the gifts, and then we also see the purpose of the gifts. In verse 7 he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, here's the purpose, for the profit of all. So what he's telling us here, spiritual gifts are not given to me for my own personal profit. They are meant to build up and to encourage the body of Christ as a whole. The example of Jesus and the scriptural mandate for Jesus followers, this is what Jesus modeled for us and this is what he teaches us is that we're to be others focused. That's the focus of discipleship. Being a disciple of Jesus, his example is, you know, he left heaven because he, he saw our need is greater than his own comfort. And Jesus says, hey, I want you pick up your cross and follow me. I want you to, to seek to live in that type of way. And so this is the mandate. And this is this big idea that Paul's saying. The purpose of all of this is not so, you know, you can exercise a gift and people can go, wow, that was amazing. No, it's so the body as a whole can be built up. And we learn the beauty of that truth. When we, when we have that mindset, we learn the beauty of that truth that Jesus gave when he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you know, I, think one of, I believe one of the greatest detriments of our consumer-oriented society has contributed to the church world is this. Our consumer-oriented society has created a generation of Christians who tend to think entirely about church in the realm of, of this. What's in it for me? How is this going to benefit me? How is this going to bless me? And Paul is wanting us to, to hear, he's wanting to make it very, very clear. In fact, he's going to repeat this over and over again in these three chapters that the gifts, these gifts that God gives to his church are for us to bless others. They're for us to bless the rest of the body of Christ. And I want you to note here that Paul gives us a list of nine gifts or manifestations of the Spirit that can be evident in the body of Christ. And again, I want to remind you that if you want to go deeper into these, check out the studies on our website. But for our purpose tonight, I'm going to give you a very brief description and then an, a, a, an example of how this gift is seen being used. So he begins in verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now, the word wisdom, not the, not, now hear me for a second, not the word of wisdom, but the word wisdom in general is the application of knowledge. That's what the word wisdom means. 
It's the application of knowledge. Some people are really, really knowledgeable, but they're not wise because they don't know how to put their, their knowledge into practice. But wisdom is when you can put it into practice. So that's what wisdom is. A word of wisdom is getting from the Holy Spirit profound wisdom about a situation, um, and it's wisdom that kind of speaks to that situation. It's like the answer to a problem. We see a great example of this in the early church in Acts chapter 6. There was a situation that arose, and it was something, you know, the church had just started. The apostles, they'd never dealt with this before. And the problem was, there was a dispute in the church because they were living in type of way where they they were living kind of communally, and so they had these great meals that would get served. And we read there in chapter 6 that there were the Hellenistic widows who felt like they weren't getting a fair distribution of the, the food. They were these Grecian widows, and they, they, they were, felt like they were being kind of you know, shortened in the distribution. So they brought the apostles, and the apostles went and prayed. They went and sought the Lord, and, and I think in that time of seeking God, the Lord gives them a word of wisdom that we see there in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. It says, therefore, this is what they said. They came out and said, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And notice what it says in verse five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. So here was this problem. They sought the Lord and God gave them this wisdom, this word of wisdom. Here's how you should handle this. They never had experienced this type of thing before. But they sought the Lord, and here's this wisdom that he gives in this situation. So the gift of the word of wisdom is getting from the Holy Spirit profound wisdom that meets the need of a particular problem. Then he mentions this, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit. Now the gift of the word of knowledge is having knowledge about a situation that you would not normally have. We see a great example of this in Acts chapter 5. When a couple, to a man and woman, husband and wife, by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, they went and sold a piece of property And they took the proceeds of the property and they brought it to the apostles to give as a gift. Now, they were not required to give all of the proceeds. But they came and said, hey, this is all the proceeds from this sale of this land. And they were saying it was all, but the Holy Spirit gave Peter this word of knowledge that that wasn't true. So he called them on it, and you can read that for yourself. It wasn't a pretty picture of what happens to them. They literally both dropped dead on the spot. It was kind of a very heavy, heavy moment in the church. But no one told Peter. And I've had times where actually these two gifts, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, can be used in the middle of a message, where I might share in the middle of a message And no one has told me this. No one sent me an email, but it's just a sense. Sometimes it's a sense the Lord gives me when I'm preparing. Sometimes it's in the moment where I'll just get a sense that, you know, I think there's somebody struggling with this today. 
And this is the word from the Lord for you. And it's something out of the passage. And it's a word of knowledge coupled with that word of wisdom. And so we see oftentimes those two gifts functioning in in preaching and teaching as well as in conversations with each other. We'll take the next three together. Look at verse 9. He says, To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles. The faith spoken of here is supernatural faith. It goes beyond the normal trusting in God. All of us are exercising. We exercise faith every single day. This is different than that. This is more of a confidence in knowing that God is going to move. I, I have this at times in preaching. You know, I always have faith that somebody can get saved during a Bible study or during a Sunday sermon because I believe in the power of the gospel that it can change lives. And so, so there are times in preaching where I just always, as I'm maybe getting to the end of a message, that I just you know, give out that invitation. And I always have faith that there can be somebody that can respond. But there, are, there have been times where the Lord gives me this gift of faith where it's not just a confidence that I know that the gospel can save someone, but it's actually a confidence in knowing he's going to. In fact, I know today there's going to be a lot of people that are going to get saved. And I'm able to like just, you know, give a, an invitation in a way like I'll, I'll tell the guys ahead of time, like, hey, be ready to, we need some more counselors today because there's going to be a lot of people that get saved today. And just, it's like that gift of faith, like just knowing that, okay, God's going to do something right now in this moment. Um, with healing, we see Peter has this gift of faith coupled with healing when he comes to the gate beautiful and there's that guy who is, you know, begging there, you know, and he's been begging. And Peter's probably passed by this guy many, many times and he comes and the guy says, you know, do you have any alms? And he says, silver and gold I don't have, but this is what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he grabs the guy. We talk about faith. He grabs the guy and pulls a crippled guy up to his feet because he had the faith in that moment that he was going to get saved. I love love the story that Pastor Chuck tells. There was a couple one Sunday night after a church that wheeled their dad up front and asked Chuck to pray for him. And he was in a wheelchair. And as Chuck was praying for this guy, he just had this gift of faith that God gave him that I'm going to heal this guy right now. And so he literally prayed and pulled this guy up out of his wheelchair and the Lord healed him. And what was really crazy is his family brought him up there because he had a cold. That's what they, <laughs> they wanted Chuck to pray for him because he had a cold and, and Chuck like just got like, God's going to heal this person. Well, when that type of thing happens, oftentimes this is the, the byproduct that next week, another family brought their, their father who was in a wheelchair up to, you know, hey, we, we heard about last week, can you pray and, you know, can you heal our dad too type of a thing? And Chuck prayed for him and he prayed and just, you know, Lord, I want you to touch this guy, I want you to heal him and Jesus' name, you know, touch him and, and you know, amen. And he didn't pull him up out, his, out of his wheelchair and Chuck said his son asked him, you know, why, why didn't you pull him? He says, well, because God didn't give me the faith. 
He didn't give me that gift of faith in that moment. So oftentimes those two gifts of uh, faith and healing and faith and miracles are working side by side. Um, Miracles is literally, uh, the Greek word there is acts of power. And it describes when the Holy Spirit chooses to override the natural laws. It's like a, a pilot. He's going to override the controls. And, and, and it's, it's the idea of the Holy Spirit is over. He's, he's um, working, overriding the natural laws. And he's going to work. And so we see this like in the life of Peter. When Peter gets out of the boat, he has this gift of faith. Jesus says, you know, Peter, come out. Come, come to me on the water. And Peter has this gift of faith and he actually does a miracle. Peter walks on the water. Now, we don't know how far he got. We know he actually eventually sank. But, you know, was it five feet, ten feet, two feet? But who cares? Peter walked on water, you know. That's a miracle, okay? So, now one of the things I want to mention about this, though, is that these, none of these gifts that we're talking about here are permanent, They're not permanent. They're given in the moment. So somebody who has been given the gift of healing can't can't go down to the hospital tonight and cruise up and down the halls and be like, I'm going to heal people because I've got this gift. No, it's, it's, it's the gift that's given in the moment. In fact, if you look at verse 31, just jump ahead, Paul says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Well, what's the best gift? It's the gift that fits the need at that moment. For instance, if a person is in need of healing, the best gift for that person would not be a word of wisdom. No, the best gift for that person would be faith and healing. And if a person was in need of a word of wisdom, the best gift in that moment wouldn't be somebody who had the gift of healing. It would be of no value because they don't have a need to be healed. They need some wisdom. They need a a word of wisdom. So since the goal is to profit everyone, it's coming to that place. This is the heart that we want to have. When we come together, when we come into settings like this, when we come to home groups, when we, you know, we want to have that heart that is saying, Lord, I want the gift that's going to be best for the moment, for the situation that we find ourselves in that's going to bless others. He continues, and to another prophecy. Now, we're going to talk about prophecy and tongues and the interpretation of tongues in detail in chapter 14. So tonight, I just want to give you a simple definition. Prophecy is the declaring of God's word, God's will, and God's heart in a way that can be either forthtelling, which is predictive, And we see that in scripture. That's John when he gets, you know, the book of Revelation. He gets this, it's forthtelling, but it's predictive of what's going to be happening in the end times. But it can also be God's word, God's will, and God's heart that is declaring God's will, God's will, God's will, God's God's heart, um, and God's word in a way that can be forthtelling. And the idea there is, is more of a declaring. It's more of a, a, a preaching. It's giving a specific word. I think this happens a lot in preaching. 
but it's like a word from the Lord for a group, or it's a word from the Lord, and it, and it matches, it lines up you know, with the word of God. And again, we'll see how that works when we get to chapter 14. Then he mentions this to another, the discerning of spirits. And this is the ability to tell the difference between true and false doctrine and between what is of the Holy Spirit and what isn't. Again, we see a great example of this in Acts chapter 8. There's a guy by the name of Simon the Sorcerer who apparently gets saved. But when he sees the Holy Spirit fall on some people, as Peter and John are there and they're praying for people in the city of Samaria and the Holy Spirit falls, that he sees this and, and he, he thinks um, because of his sorcery background, like this is some trick. And so he offers, he wants to buy it. He comes and like, hey, can I buy that from you guys? <laughs> Can you show me how that, how that works? Well, Peter has discernment that his heart is wrong and his motives are not right and he rebukes him there. So he has this discernment, discerning that, hey, this guy's, this guy's off. I don't know if this guy's really, really saved. This is the, what the discerning of the spirits that Peter has. I've had in situations where I'm talking to somebody, maybe in a counseling appointment, and I know that they are lying to me. I just discern it. I, I don't have any proof. I don't have any, you know, thing that I can say, well, somebody told me. It's just in the moment as I'm talking to them, um, there's this, this discernment. Hey, this person is lying to me right now. And I'll tell them. I'll say, you know what? I, 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 this is going to offend you, but you're lying to me right now. And God's telling me right now that you are lying to me right now. And they'll end up confessing. Like, you know what? You're right. They start crying. And now I will say this. I've had a lot of times where I thought somebody was lying to me. And I wished I had that discernment in that moment. Because, you know, everything in me was saying, I don't think this person's telling the truth, you know. But this is when you know, the Lord gives you that discernment, that sense, and there's a confidence like, okay, you're discerning. This is, this is wrong. This is off. Then he says, and to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, the gift of tongues is mainly a prayer language that is given whereby you, by faith, are communicating with God in a language that you don't know. And I know that sounds really, really confusing and complicated, especially if you've never heard that before, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Um, but it, the gift of tongues, it's interesting, it's the only one of the gifts that benefits the person who has it. Paul says, we'll, we'll read there in chapter 14, that Paul says, um, he put it this way, the person who prays in a tongue, he edifies himself. And this is one of the reasons why this, the gift of tongues is mainly to be used in a private setting. Paul also would say, um, when I pray in chapter 14, when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. And that's why it takes faith. It takes a step of faith because it's like, this just sounds like gibberish. This just sounds, you know, weird. I have no idea what I'm doing. But God says this is going to benefit me. And so if, I, if, if a person has that gift, you know, they're to, to exercise it, just believing that, okay, God says that this is going to build me up, that, that his spirit intertwining with my spirit inside of me is, is bringing forth something here that I'm just trusting that is, is going to benefit me. Now, 
and, and we'll see again this in chapter 14, but the, the, I don't think, what I found, I'll put it this way, I found in my life, I, I have the gift of tongues. It's not something that I exercise on a daily basis. It's more of uh, at times when I'm in prayer and times or, or times when I'm in praise where I just, oftentimes for me, it's like I just, it's a time when I'm overwhelmed by God and I just feel like I don't have, I don't have anything in English right now that I can say that just would communicate this joy or whatever that I'm feeling, or this despair, you know, one or the other. And oftentimes it's in those moments, I'm, I'm literally moved to pray in this, in this prayer language. Um, but it's not the type of thing that I can just, you know, on, like right now, just, I'm, I'm going to speak in tongues for you, you know, type of thing. No, it's, it's this, this, the spirit moves, you know, in the heart. But again, we'll talk a little bit more about that in chapter 14. Now, in a group setting, Paul's going to tell us that tongues is only to be used if it's accompanied by interpretation. Now, what is that? Well, that is when God supernaturally gives somebody the interpretation of that tongue. So somebody's speaking to us in Mandarin, okay, let's say. And somebody in the room, you know, speaks in tongues. And if that happened, you know, in a time of worship, let's say, I would say, okay, we're going to pause right now because this is what Paul, I'm getting ahead of myself right now. This is chapter 14. But I would say, we're going to pause right now because Paul instructed us that there needs to be an interpreter. So we're going to wait. We're just going to pause right now. You know, we're just going to kind of wait on the Lord. And if somebody has that gift of interpretation, please speak up. And if no one did, then I would instruct, I would say, okay, it doesn't seem that there's anybody here with that gift, that God's giving that gift, so let's refrain from speaking in tongues the rest of our, our time. And sometimes we do this like in our afterglow you know, type of settings, but it's amazing sometimes. And what's really, really beautiful is when somebody you know, speaks, I'll just use Mandarin again, speaks in Mandarin, somebody who has no idea what Mandarin is interprets, and somebody in the room who knows Mandarin ends up saying, that's incredible. I didn't know you knew Mandarin. You know, this is what you said. And that person's like, I don't know Mandarin. That's amazing, you know, what I said. And that type of thing has happened um, before. So, so Paul lists the gifts. And he has described the diversity, the nature, and the purpose. Now he's going to give a very good illustration of how the body of Christ is meant to function. Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into the body of Christ, whether Jews or Greeks. He's not speaking there of water baptism, but he's speaking of us being baptized. Actually, the idea of brought into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit whether slaves are free, and we've all been made to drink into the same spirit, same idea there, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So Paul begins to give this example, 
And he's going to use of the body of Christ that it's made up of many members. And we're all connected to Jesus. We've all been brought into Jesus. Jesus is the head. We make up the body. And in the body, there's this diversity where we're not all the same. We we are different. We have different personalities, different backgrounds, different giftings. But we are all significant. And no one in the body of Christ should ever feel like they are less significant than someone else. And this is where we're going to see that Paul has a sense of humor. Because what he writes here is there's, there's like some humor involved in here that I hope you can pick up. This is meant to kind of be funny in one sense what he's saying. He's going to deal with two problems in the body by using the analogy of the human body. And the, the, the first problem he's going to deal with is the person who feels like they are insignificant. And there are people in the body of Christ who always feel that way. Like, oh, I'm just a nobody, and I don't like have any gifts. You know, I don't, I don't have a purpose, and they feel insignificant. Well, notice how Paul addresses this in verse 15. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? So imagine that. Imagine if your feet could talk, okay? Wouldn't that be crazy? What would your feet say? Man, I'm stuck in this shoe all day. And no one gets to see me. I get stepped on. These shoes smell, you know. So the the foot, if your foot could talk, you'd be like, I got this dirty, stinky job and no one appreciates me. And look at the hand. It gets all the attention. It's always doing something prominent. You know, it's always waving or shaking hands or typing. It's always doing something. It's not fair. I'm done. I'm out. You know, think of that. If your foot could talk, if your feet could talk in that type of way, that's kind of what Paul's saying here. You know, the foot saying, because I'm not a hand, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to function anymore. If that happens, your body becomes handicapped. It's not functioning the way that it's supposed to anymore. And I suggest to you that all over the world, there are churches that are handicapped by members who don't know their function. Or they don't know how to perform in their function. Or there's people who don't want to do anything because they can't do the one thing that they really would like to do. You know, when I was first saved up at Calvary Costa Mesa. It seemed like there was this season where all of my friends were guys that were picking up guitars and learning to play guitar and becoming worship leaders. And I so much wanted to be a worship leader. I even took guitar lessons for a little bit. And the only thing that I could play, this will take some of you back, was smoke on the water you know by I think it was fog hat or something you know and I played it really really bad and I can't sing but I so much wanted to be like them you know and it could have been very easy for me to just go man you know those guys are so amazing and I'm just nothing and but God had to say no I've got a different gift for you I'm going to use you in a different way and so you know 
I do great worship leading in my car by myself <laughs> with a great CD on, you know, but uh, I don't even try to sit up here and clap when we're having songs because I used to do that and then I'd look out and everybody's following me and they're all off beat and the worship team, Rob, please don't clap, you know. <laughs> but here's the thing that Paul's getting at is this diversity in the body is by design, that's the beauty. It's by design that, that, that God has designed us in this way and we all play a part. And when we're all playing our part, it's beautiful. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, and again, the same type of idea. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not out of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the, if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? This is a crazy analogy. Again, I hope you see the humor. He's like, what if the whole body were an eye? <laughs> I mean, picture that. We'd be able to see really well, I guess, you know, but we wouldn't be able to do anything else. I mean, that's like what you see in some crazy Star Wars movie, you know, some creature that's just an eye, a big glob, you know, with a big eye. If that was all that we were, I mean, that'd be gross, right? But God didn't design us in that way. So Paul first deals with the problem of some feeling insignificant, and he wants them to understand, hey, we're all significant. It's how the body functions. The best is when everyone is doing their part. But then Paul's going to switch and deal with the issue really of pride. Uh, the issue that we might call the feeling of somebody who feels over-significance. That sort of, hey, it's all about me. Notice verse 20. But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And there sometimes are those in the body of Christ who have that mentality that, hey, it's all about me. It just revolves around me. This place would be, you know, a, a train wreck without me, you know. And they have that type of, of, of mentality. And there can be that tendency in the church of people who are, you know, out front sometimes, that can treat people who are behind the scenes like they don't matter. And, and, in, and in reality, the people that are behind the scenes are often the times the ones that matter the most. But think of it in this term, in this way. Think of an orchestra. You know, the drums play a significant role in an orchestra. And you might not be able to decipher in an orchestra one stringed instrument from another, one type of violin from another. You know, I don't have a good ear musically. A lot of times I can't hear, you know, what's all the different parts. Like some people, like Pete, you know, can. He can hear all the parts. I, I can't hear that, you know. But So you're listening, you can't decipher really, you know, which kind of violin is that or which stringed instrument is that or the woodwind family you know be able to decipher between the flute and the piccolo but there's no mistaking the drums right we all can hear the drums I mean they have that that just way well what if the drums decided I want to be prominent 
I don't want to just be heard. I want to be the main thing, you know? And suddenly the drum is just as loud and louder than anything else and out front. I mean, that would just destroy the orchestra. It would, it would be horrible. It would just be a bunch of noise. But what makes the orchestra beautiful is when all of those instruments are put in this place of they're submitting to the conductor and being led by the conductor and he's leading them in a way that's according to their giftings and, and what they've been made to do and this beautiful sound comes out. That's how the Lord describes how the Holy Spirit wants to manifest himself through these gifts in the body of Christ. So in verse 22, Paul says, No, much rather these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts we have greater modesty, but our presentable parts they have no need. Did you know that one of the weakest parts of the human body is the kneecap? It's true. When's the last time that you thanked the Lord for your kneecap? (laughs) When's the last time you even thought about your kneecap? We don't really think about them until they're hurting, right? That's when we think about them, is when when they're hurting. You know, my daughter Amy, when she was in high school, she blew out her patella, and it was excruciating. Her kneecap was you know, lo- no, no longer because of the tendon holding the patella in place. It's clear on the other side of, of her leg. I mean, it was just gross, and it was excruciating. Well, in the body of Christ, there are people that serve behind the scenes. There's people that, that we don't see. There's a lot of people like that in, in our church, and there's some who maybe don't have the gifting to be out, out, out front. They're not going to be Bible teachers or worship leaders or they're not going to be counselors or they're not going to be those up front here praying for others. But they do stuff behind the scenes that is so important that it's like the kneecap. It's so important. And, and you notice it when it's not right. You notice when it suddenly, you know, when my daughter's Amy, when her kneecap was not in the right place. I mean, you noticed it. And it, it was painful. And sometimes when these people that are, are serving, you know, behind the scenes, when suddenly, there's one guy here. He serves behind the scenes every single week. And he does the work around here of 10 people. And most of the body here has no idea what he does, no idea who he is. It's all behind the scenes, but it keeps this place functioning. He has taken ownership of the house of God here at Calvary Vista. And it's so amazing. I just so appreciate this guy. And when he goes on vacation, we feel it. Because all of us are having to pick up the slack for what he just does all week or, you know, all during the week, all by himself. I think of the prayer warriors who are a part of our church, those who are praying behind the scenes. You know, that's what fuels the engine of a church are the prayer warriors. For those of you who pray for, the, for, for me and you pray for the church, I just thank you so much. And no one sees that but God does 
And I know this church would be 50% at least, 50 times more ineffective if it wasn't for those of you who pray. Those of you who are praying for God to work. And this is what I think Paul is getting at when he uses this analogy of the human body. And he says there in verse 24, but God composed the body having given greater honor to the part which lacks it and there should, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. Think about this. Why don't you think for a moment in your human body about the heart. The heart is not seen. We probably don't even think about the heart that much. You don't think to to check and make sure that your heart is working. You don't think about it. You just do it. It just does. But it's so vital. It's pumping the blood and keeps everything else functioning. And so this is the point that Paul is getting at with this analogy that every member of the body plays a significant role. And if one part of the body isn't functioning properly, the whole body is going to be affected. And so too, the body of Christ, when we are all doing our part and we're all functioning properly, it's beautiful. It's glorious. But if a few are not functioning like they should, they're not, they're not using their gifts, they're not doing what God has called them to do, the body begins to experience schisms, a tearing apart. It's like the tearing of the tendon that was holding my daughter's patella in place. Notice verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Now we, we know this. You 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 hit your, your thumb with a hammer. That pain goes through your entire body, doesn't it? You know, it's not just your thumb. It seems like every part of you is suddenly hurting. And in the body of Christ, when one person is hurting, not to put him on the spot, but when my buddy right over here, Mike Gilbert, sitting over there in the dark, um, you know, about a year ago, about exactly a year ago, he his wife Erin was taken home after a battle with cancer. And all of us hurt. All of us mourned. All of us grieved. Not as much as him, but, but we felt that as a body. When my nephew, the year before, was taken home in a car accident, we all grieved. We all mourned. It was, it was hard. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. The idea, we're all connected together. We suffer together and we celebrate together. But here's what often happens. When somebody is suffering, there's never, I'll put this, it's a very rare occasion, but usually it's never any of us going, Why is he suffering and not me? But when somebody's celebrating, they get some radical blessing. A lot of us are like, how come he's getting blessed and not me? Instead of celebrating with him, we're like, no, that's not fair, you know, kind of a thing. Paul's saying, no, we're one, we're connected. So we suffer together, we celebrate together. And then notice what he says in verse 27. We'll wrap this up. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually and God has appointed 
These in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that, miracles and gifts of healings and helps and administrations and variety of tongues. And he says, are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? Again, no. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But then he says this, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. So the body of Christ is made up of these various parts that are called people. And people who have different gifts and different talents and different ways that the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself through those individuals. And the best gift is the one that fits the need of the moment. When mercy is needed, the person with the gift of exhortation might not be the right person, the right gift for that moment. Somebody who has the gift of mercy. That's kind of the idea. So it's, it's discerning. It's having that heart of not being like, well, I want that gift. That seems like, it's like, Lord, I want the gift that's going to be the best one for the moment, for the need, because my heart is I want to be somebody that's building up others and encouraging others and stirring up others. And Paul ends here by saying, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And if you've ever studied these chapters, it's really interesting because it would seem like the natural flow for Paul would be to go from here right into chapter 14. Because in chapter 14, he's going to just pick up on this idea and start talking about, you know, he's going to have examples more like in, he's going to take this analogy of the body, the human body, he's going to bring it like into the church setting and say, okay, here's how this works. And it would almost seem like the natural thing would have been for him to just go right into chapter 14, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he puts in between these two chapters where he's talking about the gifts and what they are and the gifts and how they function. He puts right in between them this whole chapter on love. Because Paul understood that love, in order for these gifts to function in a way that is going to glorify the Lord, the motivation has to be love for Jesus and love for one another. And so he's going to spend a whole deep dive into that subject, subject, and that's what we're going to look at when we get together next time. So let's stand together. Let's pray. Before we pray, I just want to say this. You know, when new people come to our church and they talk to me, you know, hey, I feel like God's led us here. I always tell them this. I'll say, you know, I feel like God leads people to a new church for two reasons. One is I think he wants to do something in you that's specific, that is going to be a part, it's going to happen through that particular body of believers, So he brings people into a new church family, a new setting for that reason. There's something that he's wanting to do that's new and fresh in their hearts. But then I also tell him this, but he also brings people into a a new body because he wants to do not just something in you, but something through you. 
that there's something about how he's gifted you and used you and, and you know, wired you that he wants to use that to benefit and bless the rest of us. So with that in mind, I want to just encourage you as you're praying, as you're seeking the Lord, it, to be with that mindset. Especially some of you that are maybe newer here with that mindset of, Lord, why am I here? What is it that you're wanting to show me and teach me? And what is it about this particular church family that, that you're wanting to do a, a fresh work in my heart? But also realizing that he wants to do something through you. And the gifts that he's given to you that he wants you to use. And he's going to show you. He's going to manifest in the right time, in the right setting. And to be seeking that with that motive of like, Lord, I want to have the best gift for the moment that we're to, that you have me in these settings and in this new sphere of influence. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for um, just the way in which you have put together this thing that we call the body of Christ. And not just the body of Christ as a whole, but even this local assembly this local church family that you've gathered together here, that you've, you've, you've given each of us giftings, you've given each of us talents, that there's ways that, that your Holy Spirit wants to be manifested through each one of our lives here in this place, here in these new relationships that we have with one another. And God, I pray that we would all have that heart where we want to be people that say, God, I'm here not just for you to do something for me and in me or to be blessed. I don't want to have that focus of just, hey, what's in it for me? But that our heart would be, Lord, I want to be a vessel that you can use. I want to be a vessel that you can work through to give the best gift for the moment, for that conversation, for that gathering, for, for that problem, whatever it might be. And Lord, I pray that that would be our heart, that we would be like that beautiful orchestra here of all of us submitted under you, the great conductor, our good shepherd, and that you might have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.